the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Numbers. God had been preparing the children of Israel to enter the land promised to their forefather. They had wandered in the desert for 38 years. Now that a whole rebellious generation of Israelites had died, God was drawing them closer to himself in order that they would be blessed beyond what they could imagine. God had told Moses that Joshua would be taking his place to lead the nation. God had laid out more sacrifices for the children of Israel that they would worship him on his terms. The Israelites were not to make their own rules and laws about how to worship God. We continue looking at these commands laid out for worship as we join Pastor Will in Numbers chapter 28 verse 14. Their drink offering shall be half a hen. So now we're, we're up to full two liters of wine unto a bullock. And the third part of a hen unto a ram. And the fourth part of a hen unto a lamb. So this is the burnt offering of every month throughout the months of the year. And, verse 15, one kid of the goats for a sin offering unto the Lord shall be offered. Beside the continual burnt offering and his drink offering. So this is all beside the daily offerings. So could you imagine if it was a Sabbath day and the first day of the month? You had to do all those things. I mean, it was a long day of butchering for you. If, the, if you, it was the Sabbath fell on the first day of the month, you had a lot that you had to do if you were a priest. Now, I love it here when it mentions in the beginnings of your months. Israel's worship cycle was always about fresh starts. <clears throat> if you had a bad yesterday, guess what? His mercies are new every morning, right? New every morning. Today, you could look toward the tabernacle and you could reflect on the offerings being made there, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and you could make a fresh commitment to him and guess what? He'd accept it. Every morning you could do that. You'd say, man, yesterday was horrible. I was in the flesh so much. I totally blew it. I did, I did not honor the Lord. Well, guess what? New mercies today. And you could think to yourself, they're offering the burnt offering today and, and today is going to be different. I'm going to walk with the Lord today. And you'd make that recommitment and the Lord would receive it. He would say, okay, son, okay, daughter, go walk with me today. Isn't that cool? At the start of the month was kind of a time of refreshing and reflection as well, where they would have a lot more offerings that would take place because maybe you might look back and you go, it wasn't yesterday that was bad. It was all month that was bad. But you could make a fresh start that month. I don't know about you. I like fresh starts. I need fresh starts. That's why I like going to pastor's conferences and men's conferences because it's always a time where the Lord, if, if I'm not really where I need to be, it's a great opportunity to say, Lord, I'm going to get where I need to be and I'm going to start today. You could do that without going anywhere, but the idea was is God gave them this opportunity every single month. You could do it every day, but here it was a greater focus on it. It was on a greater level. 
Now, this is different than the daily offering and the Sabbath offering in that they offered two young bullocks, I'm sorry, one ram, and seven lambs instead of just two lambs, which is what they did every day. So this is a far more expensive animal sacrifice that's going on here, a barbecue that's taking place. The bullock was a very large animal that would be very expensive because of its size and its yield of, of meat and food. The seven lambs is quite a big difference. So this is six times the daily amount offered if you add it all up in grain to go along with 10 more animal offerings and a full extra gallon of wine for the drink offering. And then, of course, if you caught it as we were reading through, there's one other special difference, and that's verse 15. We see that they would offer a kid of the goats for a sin offering unto the Lord. Why would they do that once a month? Why would you offer a sin offering? Well, remember, the sin offering was for unintentional sins. It was where you... You set out to do the right thing, but you fell short. You know, you woke up that day or, you know, and you said, I'm going to be a good husband today. I'm going to be a good dad. The next thing you know, the kid is yelling at his sibling and they get in a fight. They fall down and now you've got a bruise and now mom's all bent out of shape about it. And then you yell at her and, and you just kind of look around and you go, that stunk. I didn't mean to do that, but I totally blew it. I just totally blew it. And so the idea is every month they would offer this offering for the failure to live out the absolute commitment, to live out that absolute everyday service that they were supposed to every day the last month. You know, I've heard some people say in the Old Testament, they were saved by keeping the law. And then the New Testament, you know, we're saved by grace, but that's hogwash. The Bible never teaches that. It's always been God's mercy that saves us. This sin offering each month was done in faith, resting in the fact that God wants to show mercy to his people because he knows we can't keep his law perfectly. We see the psalm where the psalm writer says, you know, he knows our frame that we're simply dust. And it says he has compassion on us and pities us like a father pities his child. My kids come to me and they say, dad, I messed up. I don't blast them. My heart goes out to them. I see the pain they're in. You know, I see the heartache they're going through because now they got to deal with it. I can't just fix it for them, but my heart goes out to them. How do I help them? And the Lord is in such a greater capacity, has compassion upon us when we're attitudes not right or when we blow it. And the Lord in the establishment of this sin offering every month was telling his people, last month might've been bad, but my mercies are new today. I wanna wanna forgive you. I wanna wash you. Here's your fresh start. And I would ask you today, what are you resting in to save you each month? Is it your own goodness or is it your faithfulness to do everything you're supposed to do all the time? That sounds to me like a really, well, let me rephrase that. It doesn't sound like it is a stressful life because I tried to live that way for a long time as a Christian. I can only have peace if I've, I made sure I read my Bible the right way and I'm always doing the right things. And of course, if I wouldn't do it, then my peace would be gone. My joy would be gone. And I'm not right with God. I don't think I'm saved. And this is not, we're not talking about the conviction of the Lord when you should be reading your Bible. That's not what I'm talking about. Talking about just that idea of performance relationship with God, that you can't go to God unless you've done all these things. The whole reason we go to God is not because we've done all these things, but because we need help because we haven't. I'm so grateful for the cross that gives me access to his throne of grace so I can find mercy and grace to help in my time of need. Now with the daily, the weekly, and this first of the month offering taken care of, we now move to the special feasts. And the first one we deal with is Passover, verse 16. And in the 14th day of the first month is the Passover 
of the Lord. If we go through this, and I'm not going to go into detail with all the feasts, again, because we've covered it in Leviticus 23 and Exodus, multiple places in Exodus, but this isn't exactly a repetition of Leviticus 23, which lists all the feasts or of the parts of Exodus. This chapter is different because those other chapters gave instructions to the people in the nation about what they were supposed to do on these holy days. These instructions are more geared toward the priests and the offerings that they would be required to do while everyone else was celebrating. So that's what we're looking at right now. But I will warn you, as you go through this, if you're reading it on your own, it can feel extremely repetitive while you're reading it. I want to read you a quote from the Expositor's Commentary. It says this, the repetition and the restatement of these sacrificial gifts to the Lord, it served to remind the people who were about to enter the land that it was not an ordinary land they were entering, nor were they an ordinary people. The land was God's promised land, and they were covenant people. They were in a relationship with him. So everything that they were to do was special, for they were in league with him. And that's why God repeated it over and over and over and over again, so that they wouldn't look at it as ritual, but they would look at it as special. That's why sometimes we see in the New Testament, like, God said that like 18 times already. Yes, first off, we're stubborn. Secondly, we don't get it. We go through the motions of things at times. And so the Lord, he says it over again to remind us, this is not just anything I'm asking you to do, or it's not just anything on how you are with me or how our relationship works. It's important. It's special. And I want you to know that. Yes, it's repetitive, but understand it's for a reason. Three feasts happened during the time of Passover. You had the Feast of Passover, which lasted one day. Then you had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that was the next seven days. And then you had the Feast of First Fruits, which was the last day, the day after the Unleavened Bread Feast ended. All those feasts are in mind in verses 16 through 25. But this one mentions, and in the 14th day of the first month, is the Passover of the Lord. Now, no additional offerings are mentioned for this day, because what's everyone doing on that day? Everyone's bringing their lamb, so there's no need for any offering, extra offerings to be given. The priests will be plenty busy with those offerings on that day with all the Passover lambs that are being brought. However, verse 17, when we get to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and in the 15th day of this month is the feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Seven days shall unleavened bread be eaten. In the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no manner of servile work therein. So on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, everybody got the day off. Didn't matter what day of the week it was, everybody got the day off. And there was a holy convocation, which means they would all get together to worship. They would all get together to celebrate. They would all get together to reflect and remember what the Feast of Unleavened Bread was about. Them coming out of Egypt in haste. This would be, in addition, what we're going to read about here This will be all the additional offerings that would be offered in that big, huge gathering. It says, verse 19, but you shall offer, so the priests don't get the day off, you shall offer a sacrifice made by fire for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And here's what it is. Two young bullocks, one ram, and seven lambs of the first year. They shall be unto you without blemish. And their grain offering shall be of flour mingled with oil. Three-tenths deals shall be you offer for a bullock. Two-tenths deals for a ram. A several, which is one-tenth deal, shall you offer for every lamb throughout the several seven lambs, and one goat for a sin offering to make an atonement for you. Do you notice anything familiar there? That's everything we just read in verses 11 through 15, right? So it's the same as the first of the month offering. It's the same on each day of the feasts. So basically, they take the monthly, the first of the month, and they duplicate it for each day of the feast. Let me add this to you. Let's say the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the first day fell on the first day of the month, and it was a Sabbath, and then you had to do the daily offerings. Busy day, (laughs) busy work day. You could not call in sick. At the end here, there is one little thing here which says, you shall make an atonement for you. 
And that's to be a reminder of the fact that God was covering their sin through these offerings. On the Feast of Unleavened Bread, remember what happened? God had judged Egypt so they could leave. And why did he judge Egypt? Because they were stubborn and they wouldn't yield to the Lord. So there's a reminder there that, hey, let's not be stubborn like that. And yet if they were, the Lord made atonement for them. Now, verse 23 explains, you shall offer these beside the burnt offering in the morning, and which is for the continual burnt offering. So again, everything fell on the right day, then you had a busy day in front of you. Now, after this manner shall you offer daily throughout the seven days, the meat of the sacrifice made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. It shall be offered beside the continual burnt offering and his drink offering. Then verse 25, on the seventh day, you get another day off and another, you know, basically having church. On the seventh day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work. So on that very last day, everybody would get the day off and you would have a, a gathering and that would be it. There are no special instructions for the Feast of first fruits, which would occur after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the reason for that, that's when everyone would be bringing their first fruits to the Lord. So there's no need to offer anything else except the daily offering. Verse 26, now we get to feast number four, the feast of Pentecost. Also in the day of first fruits, when you bring a new grain offering unto the Lord after your weeks be out. So after first fruits, they would count 49 days. And then on the 50th day, they would celebrate the feast of Pentecost. That's what Pentecost means, 50 days. But they would call it also the feast of weeks, which is what it's called here. It says, when you bring a new grain offering unto the Lord after your weeks be out. So after you count the seven weeks on that 50th day, they would celebrate what was called the Feast of Weeks. And in that day, you shall have a holy convocation. So everybody's going to get together and everybody gets the day off. You shall do no servile work. But you shall offer, here it is again, the burnt offering for a sweet savor unto the Lord. Two young bullocks, one ram, seven lambs of the first year, grain offering of flour mingled with oil, three-tenth deals into one bullock, two-tenth deals into one ram. You're going to be hearing my voice saying those words in your sleep tonight. A several-tenth deal into one lamb throughout the seven lambs, and one kid of the goats to make an atonement for you. You shall offer them beside the continual burnt offering and his grain offering. And then as a reminder, they shall be unto you without blemish. You couldn't bring any animal. Had to be a perfect animal and their drink offerings. This feast would be done with the same offerings as the monthly offering were brought here as well. Now, chapter 29, we get to feast number five, the feast of trumpets. Now, we are more familiar with this as Rosh Hashanah, or Rosh Hashanah as we say it in our Americanized form. Rosh Hashanah is the head of the year, is what that means. Rosh is head, Hashanah is of the year, so it's, it's the start of their secular calendar, you could say. But in the Bible, it was called the Feast of Trumpets. And so it says, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation, you shall do no servile work, it is a day of the blowing of trumpets, Unto you, And I'm not going to read it again, but it's the same exact offerings with one difference. In verse 2, it mentions they would only bring one young bull. So instead of two, one. Everything else is the same. Now, why did they only bring one young bull for this feast instead of two? I have no idea. And if you figure it out, let me know. That's just the way God set it up. I can't find any significance in it. I wish I could. I really don't know what the significance of that is. Now, again, if you read through this, it seems very repetitive because it talks about the animal offerings, the grain offerings, and the drink offering again, and the verbiage is pretty much exactly the same. And so it's the same offerings as the monthly offering, except for one less bull. Now, if this seems very repetitive to you, I do want to point something else out because I do think it communicates something to us. I think it communicates that when it comes to our worship of God, that God is looking for consistency over time. Does that make sense? Everything's the same. I think he's looking for consistency over time. Why am I bringing this up? Well, some Christians really love to whoop it up on Sunday. 
But the minute they hit I-4, they're swearing like a sailor. And I do not think that that's a sweet aroma to the Lord. I don't think as you're just going, praise the name of Jesus, praise the name of Jesus, and you're hallelujah and whatever and Holy Ghost hopping, you can do whatever you want. And then you get out there and you're yelling at your spouse. I don't think the Lord's going, oh man, it smelled good when they were in the building though. I think the Lord's kind of going, there's an inconsistency in your life. I had a pastor said, I don't care how high you jump. He said, just make sure you walk straight when you land. Some of us have more demonstrative personalities than others. There's nothing wrong with that. You go, over, you go over to Israel and you see how the Jews do it. They look at us sometimes and they're like, you worship God? You know, they believe that's why they bob because they believe you should worship him with your whole body, you know? And of course, we're very polite Americans and so we sit primly. There's nothing wrong with that either as far as the Lord's concerned. So there's nothing wrong with being someone who's more demonstrative. But the idea is, is that's not worship either. Not just being prim and proper, nor is being all excited and exuberant. Worship is every day walking with the Lord. God is looking for consistency over time. We read in Ephesians chapter five in our scripture reading where the Lord is our example of this worship. Ephesians five, verse one. The Lord through Paul commands us to be imitators of God. Be therefore followers. The word followers means imitators. Be therefore imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us. But there's more, verse two, and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Christ's whole life was just an offering to the Lord, and the Lord would smell the barbecue of his life coming up, and you're going, that smells good. It was a sweet aroma to him. Paul says that we're to imitate that, where our whole lives are an offering to the Lord, and it's a sweet aroma to him. What does that life look like? Well, if you read the rest of Ephesians 5, it tells you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like sexual morality or, you know, having a, a potty mouth or, or being unkind to people. I mean, I can't read the whole list because we don't have time. But what does then a life that is a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord? I would encourage you on your own time to read Romans chapter 12 because it has similar verbiage when it says, therefore, brethren, my beloved brethren, I beseech you because of the mercy God's shown you, the great grace, the great forgiveness he's given to you, that you present your bodies what? A living sacrifice unto God. A sweet-smelling aroma to him, right? And then you read through Romans 12, and what does it talk about? Let your love be without hypocrisy. Don't return evil for evil, right? But overcome evil with good. That's what a sweet-smelling savor to God is. That's what our lives being an offering looks like. Now, that should manifest itself when we come to church and we sing that we're doing it from our hearts, But if all we do is come to church and sing about how awesome he is, but then we go home and we're nasty to the kids, nasty to our spouse, nasty to our coworkers, you've totally missed the boat on worship. The Lord is explaining to the people here through this repetitiveness that they need to have that consistent life of worship, not just in their holidays. Now, the next holiday is the Day of Atonement. And it says, and you shall have on the 10th day of the seventh month a holy convocation. You shall afflict your souls. You should not do any work therein. And then it lists the same exact thing as the Feast of Trumpets, the same offerings as the first of the month with the exception there's only one bull. Everything else is the same. There is something I do want to point out that's a little bit different. This occurred 10 days after the Feast of Trumpets, but it says that they should afflict their souls. The word afflict means to humble your soul. All the other feasts were celebrations. Passover, the Lord passed us over and he brought us out of Egypt. Feast of unleavened bread, he brought us out of Egypt in a miraculous, powerful, quick way. Feast of first fruits, Lord, you've provided us with a harvest, thank you. Feast of weeks, Lord, we've brought in the harvest, thank you. Feast of trumpets, it's the start of the new year, praise the Lord. 
But when you had come to the Day of Atonement, it was not a time of celebration. The Day of Atonement, which we know as Yom Kippur, Day uh, Kippur's Atonement, was a time of personal and national contrition, a time of fasting and confession. Again, I don't have time to go into all the ceremony of the Day of Atonement. We learned that in Leviticus. But there was that ceremony with the two goats where one would be the scapegoat and the idea is if the goat would go off, it'd be a sign that God had washed away all the nation's sin. Well, these other offerings here were all in addition to the goat offering as well. This, again, it was a busy day. David exemplified how this mindset of the Day of Atonement, we shouldn't just be doing it on the Day of Atonement, but that mindset should be a part of our regular worship. Turn to Psalm 139 with me. These are verses that you may be very familiar with. You might not, but you may be. They're ones that people often pray. But David, he talked about his life and his prayer to God, and this was part of it. He said, search me, verse 23, Psalm 139. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I don't think the Lord wants us to walk around, you know, glum and whatever all day, every day. But I think there should always be a time of the day or a couple times of the day where we pray that prayer in our own words, but we, we pray what's in that prayer. Where we say, Lord, is there anything going on that I'm not aware of that maybe I've, I've kind of dropped the ball today? See if there be any wicked way in my heart and lead me in your way, the way that's everlasting. Is that a regular part of your worship? I think the idea that we're getting here is that worship is an everyday thing, right? And it's more than just singing. It's more than just listening to worship music. It's more than even just coming and showing up to church. It, it really, it has to do with that everyday surrender to the Lord, our everyday yieldedness in our service to God. And, and, I, and I would ask you tonight, you know, as we close and the worship team comes on up and prepares to lead us in song, are you a worshiper? Are you a worshiper? Are you someone who has that adoration for God every day? Are you somebody that is, you know, coming to God and asking him to search your heart on a regular basis? Are you someone who's surrendering to the God every day? Because that's what a worshiper is. You know, we can come and I don't know about you, but I like music you know, and I'm emotional. I, I'm an emotional guy. So when the music starts playing, I mean, it gets the juices flowing for me. But in essence, who I am as a Christian, who I am as a worshiper of God, is not defined by the moment when everything feels right. It's defined by how I live every day. So let's be worshipers, amen? Lord, we give you our lives and we want to be worshipers. And Lord, we don't have all these elaborate feasts like Israel does. We, you don't have those things for us in the New Testament. And yet they all point forward to it and they, they all picture Christ's sacrifice that we can worship you for and thank you for every single day. And we wanna be those, Lord, who adore you. Lord, who are just enamored of you, who love you and who wanna be surrendered to you. And so we we do that tonight and we say, Lord, yeah, we're gonna sing now. But as I do so, Lord, I wanna take all the thoughts that I'm thinking about you, about how I wanna live for you, I wanna take them with me as I leave this building, I leave my friends, I leave my family in the Lord. And I get in my car and I get in the traffic and I go home to my life and I go to my job and, and all the things where the challenges are faced of being a worshiper. Lord, I wanna worship you in those places. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit so we can do that? We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. God described his nature to Moses in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, as merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. This is the God we worship. 
a loving, merciful, and just God who never changes. He is worthy of our worship and adoration because of who He is. Even when life's circumstances may tell you otherwise, God is the same and worthy of our sacrifice and praise. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.